Yellen sends one to right center and deep. Get up! Get up! Get out of here and go! For Yellen! He has tied the game with a booming home run. He got it all. Tied up 4-4 on a big home run. Twitter at Tyler Kurth or read my articles by following reviewing the brew on Twitter. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at trilogy underscore pod or subscribe to us on YouTube by searching Wisconsin Sports Trilogy. Joining me as always is my cheesehead loving buddy Trevor. He is a host of the Packers Trilogy podcast and can be found on Twitter at Bender underscore Trevor. So Trevor, my baseball guru, how are you doing today? Oh God, baseball guru! I I was not anticipated being called that today, but really appreciate that. I think that made me win the argument that Mr. Matt Carroll and I had last week on this podcast. If you haven't listened to that, please go check it out. I that was super super fun recording. Um, hopefully, you guys really enjoyed that because we really had a fun time recording that with Matt. Thank you again, Matt, for doing that with us. It was a lot of fun. And I think I told Tyler to tell you this, but make sure next time you come on, it's not just me and you yelling at each other. That would be much appreciated. <laughs> you guys can still call me your honor. That can stay. I think that's nope. for the best. <laughs> nope, that's, that was the worst part of the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So today we are going to move into what I'm going to call our off-season of goods segment. So the next two weeks, we're going to focus on some good players. We spent the initial part of the off-season focusing on the bads. And today, it really makes me laugh when I say goods because I picked two offensive players who I thought had good seasons for the Brewers, which is kind of a joke in itself. And <laughs> the two guys I came up with were Orlando Arcia and Dan Vogelbach. <laughs> I really wanted to do uh, Jed Jerko, but the Brewers already declined his option, so I didn't want to waste our time necessarily doing that. So those are the guys we're going to talk about today. Do you have a preference who we start with? Let's start with uh, Mr. Vogelbach, just because we saw a lot less of him at, throughout his career, so I'd like to save Arcia for the second half. That's very fair. <laughs> so... Yeah, like I said, we're less familiar with Dan Vogelbach. So when I started kind of looking a little bit more into his season here, the biggest thing that I immediately thought of with him was, okay, he came to the Brewers and he just started slapping hits to the opposite field. Like we, we thought he was just this huge, big pull hitter. I mean, teams shifted on him 80% of the time in 2020. So there is some evidence to support that. But when I look back in looked at like his previous seasons and just where he's hitting the ball, he actually became more of what baseball savant called an up-the-middle hitter. 
And it is a fairly big change in the numbers. So I think if I if I think it was like four hits is what he hit to the opposite field in 2020, which all of those must have came with the Brewers. I couldn't find a way to distinguish if he had any with the Mariners or not. Um, but his numbers really support to hit the ball more so up the middle. Now, I don't know if that's like, you know, middle, middle left. I don't know where where that falls in that category. Um, but I did find that interesting because early on in his career, he was pulling the ball closer, like into the mid 40 percent. And now that more up the middle is getting closer to 40 percent. So that was one of the first things that caught my eye with him. Yeah, I I mean, just looking at like kind of the base stuff for Vogelbach like first it's weird you pull him up on baseball reference and it looks like he has like nine years in the league based on the entries they have but it's really only five and because it looks like so much because he has four different entries for 2020 because he's been on so many different teams you know he's got the total stats for the MLB then he's got three different teams or whatever on there so it just looks kind of weird but you look at him and you look at his 2020 stats and not just with the Brewers, like with the Brewers, he was actually pretty good um, as that's why we're talking about him, right? He did have a batting average of 328 with the Brewers on base percentage of 418 slugging of 569 OPS 987. All those, like if he does that for us throughout the course of a season, that's huge. Um, if he's able to do that, I do not have a lot of hope that he would do that. A couple other numbers for the just the Brewers numbers. He did strike out 18 times and walked eight times. And, you know, something that he's been good at, according to Baseball Savant, in the last two years is getting on base via the walk. Uh, 2019, he was top 2% in the league. 2020, he was top 10%. And... You know, eight walks with the amount of plate appearances he had is fine, but it wasn't close to those numbers. A lot of his walks came in his other stints with other teams this year. But you look at his 2020 numbers as a whole, they're right about his career numbers. Pretty close, especially very close with batting average and on base percentage. And you just compare and contrast what he was with the Brewers and what he was in 2020 overall. And the fact that this is close to his career numbers is kind of scary to me. 209 for batting average and 331 for on-base percentage. The on-base percentage is okay, especially considering the batting average is very low 200s. But that batting average is very scary. And the fact that he was basically his career self this year is a little bit concerning and, and makes me, even though he did great for the Brewers, I don't know if he's going to be able to maintain that because he hasn't been able to do that throughout the course of his career. So definitely the more I dig into it, the more I'm like, okay, is he really going to be a part of this team next year? And if he's a big part of the team, I think we definitely have some concerns moving forward. Yeah, you mentioned like the career average of a 200 hitter and like that just like makes Brewer fans think back to the days of Chris Carter where he hits 40 home runs and hits 200. Uh, so that, obviously that's what I think of. But you did bring up the walks, and that is a very important part to remember with him because he is just overall like an extremely patient hitter. And as a result, you draw, you draw a lot of walks. 
In 2019, he drew a walk 16.5% of the time. That was top 2% in the league. And this year in 2020, 14.7% of the time he drew a walk, again, in the top 10. But with that, there's a caveat of, well, how much is he swinging? He just, like I said, he's a patient swinger. He does not swing a lot. And especially at the first pitch, he only swung at 17% of the pitches uh, on the first pitch this year. And MLB average is at 28 so and that was kind of the same with last year at 17%, so not much of a change. And with that, you're going to miss pitches that are very hittable. I love the uh, meatball swing percentage on Baseball Savant. Like, these are pitches you, like, right down the middle, you see it, you're going to go out and crush it. Well, in 2020 here, he only swung at 62% of meatballs. Really good hitters are going to be up near, like, 75 80% in that category. Um, so despite you know him having a really good 2019 when he hit 30 home runs, he it was kind of the same thing that year. He only swung at 54% of the meatball pitches that year. So it, it's kind of weird. Like, yeah, it's good to have at least one good patient hitter in your lineup, but at the same time, like, I feel like you're just leaving so much out there, and like you you can just glower over like his low chase percentages and his high walk rates but at the same time it's like dude swing the bat and do some damage you're a big beefy guy and obviously have lots of power like use it do something man yeah and uh, <laughs> i was just scrolling through baseball savant this is gonna provide nothing to our conversation but i was just looking at the bottom of baseball savant they give rankings and in 2019, Dan Vogelbach's sprint speed was ranked 558 in the MLB. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> and he was 408 this year. Um, he got 0.1 foot per second faster, in case you were wondering. <laughs> also, a fun little stat, average home run trot, 24.88 seconds for Mr. Vogelbach. That's 243rd in the MLB. So he's not the fastest guy, but he hustles more than a lot of them because he's in the four or 500s with his sprint speed, and he's moving a lot faster relative to his total um, or fastest velocity. He's he's using more percentage of his of his VO2 max. Shout out exercise science. Oh, gosh. Can't believe you just went that route. <laughs> Home run trot is not one thing I was prepared for today, but now I am. So <laughs> I'll have to look into that more closely. Jeez. <laughs> um, but with Dan Vogelbach, like, obviously is not going to hit above 300 like he did this year with the Brewers and what, when you had him for like a month or whatever it was. He's going to be a platoon guy. Throughout his career, he's batting 143 against lefties and slugging 267. So that's obviously extremely dreadful. The Brewers, if they decide to keep Dan Vogelbach, need to acquire someone with a right-handed bat to play first base when a lefty's out on the mound. So with that being said, on baseball reference, there's a projection for what someone's season will look like in 2021. And I want you to tell me if, based off their projections, you're like, yeah, I'd be happy with that, or, eh, no, let's move on. Because Vogelbach is a Super 2 player, so he's arbitration eligible this year, and he's projected to make 1.4 to 1.9 million. So not a ton of money there. But his projections on baseball reference here is they have him at 324 plate appearances, so clearly they view him as in a platoon role. 
15 home runs, 42 RBIs. And then his slash line here is a 215 batting average, 335 on base percentage, 416 slugging, and that equals a 751 OPS. So what do you think? Uh, that's that's a very interesting question. You know, you look at the money, and to me, this is a yes. If first base is your platoon and you will figure out an everyday third baseman. If you have someone you trust, if you're not, I just don't want four platoons going into the year like it was this year, and then your offense suck ass. Like, if if we have one platoon, two absolute max, if we have one platoon, I feel a lot more comfortable with it. And then it's a true platoon, righty versus lefty. You get someone else in there at a, a low number, that you feel comfortable with, like, if, if he's just out there against pitchers that he's better against, and he's a guy that, you know, is going to be okay fielding, like, I don't think there's anything great at all, but I don't think there's anything glaringly bad with his defense. Overall, I would say it's fine if that's the case. Now, is that going to be the case? I don't think so. Uh, there has to be a significant change to this offense and this team in general for that to, for me to be 100% okay with that. But the number is intriguing. I just don't want to go through what we went through this year with all the platoons and stuff like that. But the, the number of 1.4 to 1.9, that's pretty much nothing. And we're saying that's pretty much nothing. And that's the amount that Josh Hader is going to get increased. So... Just cut Dan Vogelbach and give me Josh Hader. <laughs> okay, way to tie it back to last week. <laughs> you brought up the defense with Vogelbach, which is something I was going to wait to talk about after his offense. So let's get to it right now. In 2019, he played 57 games at first base. And he was an everyday player because in 2019, he played at the Mariners and they have the DH. He did not play... D, or first base once with the Mariners this year. With the Brewers, he logged just 15 innings. So obviously that speaks a lot about what managers think of his defense ability. But in 2019, when he had those 57 games, he had a minus six DRS average. And that's in 57 games. So that tells me I really do not trust this guy to play first base even if it's in a platoon situation next year for the Brewers. I I do not want to see it. Obviously, we don't know if the DH is going to stay in the National League next year or not, so that would have an impact on this. But my first thoughts with defense is, no. Let, we can find some other bargain options out there in the free agent market who can contribute some similar numbers offensively and be a lot better defensively, and that's going to help improve your team. So... As good as Volgabach was and as much love as he got from Milwaukee, I think it, we just don't bring him back. That's my thoughts. Yeah, I, I think that's probably fair. And I guess me saying before there's no like glaring holes in his defense is because he had 15 innings. And to be honest, I didn't watch every single game this year. So that was probably the games I didn't watch that I just didn't see him on defense. I just saw him at the plate. Um so, yeah, if you th fix other places and then you still have the money to pay him, fine. If the DH comes back, fine. But other than that, it's like, yeah, I, I don't think 
I don't think Milwaukee fans should be upset if they do not bring back Vogelbach. Yeah, I wouldn't be upset. I would just be concerned defensively. And to your credit, he actually wasn't terrible in his 15 innings this year with the Brewers. But again, it's 15 innings. So (laughs) not a lot to go off of in that regard. So let's switch over here. We're going to go to the shortstop in Orlando Arcia. So he was probably what everyone's valued as one of the most consistent hitters for the Brewers in 2020. I wrote his uh, season report card for reviewing the Brew probably like three weeks ago or so, and I gave him a B-plus overall. And it was really a season where we thought Luis Sirius was going to challenge him, and then, of course, Urias breaks his hand, has surgery, starts on the COVID-injured list. So RC got first crack at it and really never backed away after that. I mean, he had the only three Brewer hits on opening day against Kyle Hendricks, if you remember that far back. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, overall, like I think to the eye test, Orlando Arcia improved in terms of his plate discipline. How many times do we talk about on series recaps, like, oh, he didn't chase that slider down and away and all that. And his numbers support that, even though if it's not like a very huge difference. But again, like the biggest thing is, was what we saw in the 60 game fool's gold or is it here to stay? So that's what I'm curious about with Arcia. Yeah, that's definitely a interesting point. Um, so I'm looking at fan graphs right now, and I was actually going to bring up plate discipline, so I'm glad you, you brought that up, because you look at outside of the zone swing percentage for Arcia. His career average is 35.9. His lowest before this year was 33.3, and he dropped that to 28.6 this season. If there's something that makes you feel like, okay, can Orlando Arcia keep this up? That's a, that's a very good question. I don't know. But if he's able to be, and if he kind of figured out the strike zone, how to be more disciplined, that's important. Like, not swinging on 36% chance over your career of outside the zone and dropping that by almost eight points That's a pretty big improvement there for Orlando Arcia. Then you look at some of the other things. When he is swinging outside of the zone, he had a better contact rate this year. His career average, 63. He's at 69.8 this year. So that's a pretty big jump of 6.8%. Kind of same thing for zone contact percentage. Not quite as big as a difference, but career average of 84.1%. He's at 85.3 this year, Um, and that's just slightly behind his best year of 85.7 in 2017. So it feels like, and and this could change year to year, obviously, but it, it feels like his plate discipline definitely improved. And if he improves that, I think that could be a reason and a way for him to be a little bit better. And not that I expect Orlando Arcia to all of a sudden be this guy that we have wanted to see for years now. I don't expect that. But to me, it makes sense of why we saw a little bit of an increase in his numbers this year. You know, he's a career 244 hitter. He was 260 this year. Career under 300 on base percentage, 317 this year. Slugging percentage was 416 this year, normally 366 over his career. And then that 
makes a pretty big impact in his OPS. Career average of 6.660, and right now it's 734. So pretty big differences there, and I definitely think think plate discipline definitely put played a role in this, and that's definitely something that makes me feel like there, it makes me feel a little bit more confident in Orlando Arcia. If he's got that plate discipline a little better, it makes him a better hitter. And those numbers I just talked about really prove that. I certainly agree, but now it's my turn to play devil's advocate to this. <laughs> so with his plate discipline and everything you mentioned, there is also the fact to take into consideration here that he swung the lowest percentage of time this year than he has in his entire career, and by a significant amount. So this year, he swung at 46.5% of pitches. His first three years in the league, he was up near 52 to 53%. So you're looking at 6-7% difference there. In the baseball world, that's a big difference, and I, I don't really know what the reasoning is for it. Was he seeing the ball better? Maybe, I think so. Or was he just said to go with the approach this year? Hey, I'm going to be a little bit more patient this year. I'm, you know, towards the bottom of the order, whatever. I'm just going to have fun. I, I don't know. So those are some things to think about. And then you mentioned his his slugging and OPS. Those are both career highs for him. Again, it was 416 slugging, 734 OPS. But when you kind of compare this to the league, you get what's an SPS+. Plus. So 100 would mean league average out of just the shortstops. Orlando Arcia was at 98. So in his very best year, his OPS was still below the league average in shortstops, which kind of makes me a little sad because he had a really good season. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, though. Like, we knew this. Orlando Arcia, you know, we thought maybe in 2016, 2017 – he could continue to grow, but we've kind of seen the player he is. Orlando Arcia, at his best, is going to be a 250 to 275 hitter. He's not going to slug very high. You know, his on-base percentage isn't going to be insanely high. You, I mean, you look at baseball savants, he's been pretty consistent around 6.5 for his walk percentage. Nothing incredible there. Um, the last two years have actually been a little bit better, 7.9 and 7.4 in 2019 and 2020, respectively. So to me, I feel like, yeah, it, there's definitely room for him to improve, but I just I just don't see it happening at this point. Like, there was always hope for it, but at this point, you're kind of just wishing to see something new, and you can't really expect that at this point, I don't think. Yes, He's still fairly young, you know, 26. He turns 27 when Tyler turns 27 next year. Um, so, I mean, he's still a fairly young guy, but and he could improve yet. I just, I just don't see that happening. I think a trend for him to be closer to consistently, if he's consistently 260 to 275 instead of you know 240 to 260. That's definitely an improvement, and if he can trend that way more consistently and plate discipline being a big part of that, I I think that's great. But I also think just because Orlando Arcia had a pretty solid year in his for for his sake, that doesn't mean 
you know, if something comes up, you shouldn't be trying to get rid of him or try to find the next guy because he's not the long-term answer. We were hoping he was back in 2016 when he was, what, 21 years old? Like, that's what we wanted to see that out of him. We wanted him to be the guy of the future. You know, he got quite the chance. He got, you know, four or five seasons in, and nothing has really changed. He's been kind of the same player Year to year, it's a little up and down a little bit. But for the most part, we know who he is. And it's not going to be a guy that should be the future of your club at the shortstop position. So to me, it's it's great. I'd love to see him continue to do good until we get someone else in there. But I just, long term, he, he's not the answer. Yeah, and the problem is I don't know if Luis Urias is the answer either. It <laughs> Unfortunately was kind of smaller not. Sample size this year, yeah. <laughs> Um, so, okay, I said this was off-season or a podcast of goods. So, these are the these are the positive trends I found here with Arcia coming up next. Especially this year, he hit the breaking ball a lot better, and he drove him with power. In 2020, he had a 269 average and 462 slugging percentage, and 33% of the pitches he saw were breaking balls. So, okay, that, that's pretty good. But you compare that to 2019. It was just absolutely dreadful. 195 average, 270 slugging, and again, 33% of the pitches seeing. So obviously got a lot better at hitting the breaking ball for whatever reason. So I guess that's kind of positive. And then the really kind of fun one here is his first pitch stats. So in at-bats where he swung at the first pitch, again, not necessarily making contact or putting the ball in play with the first pitch, where he just swung at it, he had a 357 batting average, and a 171 OPS plus, so 71% above the league average there. And then when you kind of dial it back a little bit and say, okay, when he did swing at the first pitch and he made contact, which was 25 chances or 25 instances this season, he collected 10 hits, which is a 400 average, and he had two of his home runs in those scenarios. So um, I guess those are kind of some good things there, Maybe, maybe some trends, I'm not sure. But if you want to go back to the future here, and we'll bring it up because his arbitration projections here for Orlando Arcia are anywhere from 2.7 to 3.8 million for next season. With really no immediate future options in the farm system, what are your thoughts on those arbitration values? Again, unless you think Urias is it, and maybe that's what the Brewers think. I don't know what they're going to do at third base, but if they feel David Stearns, Craig Council feels Urias is the answer, then I think it's time to move on from Orlando Arcia. But, you know, you mentioned, you know, he's hitting the breaking ball better. I I think a lot has to do with us talking about that plate discipline early on in this segment of he, he was just better at not swinging at those pitches, which makes it easier to you know, are not necessarily easier to hit them. But if he's not swinging at the ones outside of the zone, his average is probably going to look a little bit better on it because he's swinging on the ones inside of the zone, which makes it a little bit easier to hit. But to me, it's it's all about how you feel about Larissa Urias. Like, do you, would you rather have Orlando Arcia for the next year or two, three years, whenever the future can come up? Or would you rather have Urias? To me, we just kind of invested in Urias. So I think maybe it's time to hand over the reins, see what that kid can do. Um, I also get the point of, 
you know, if you want to still see what Urias can do, but you're not really sure if he can be your everyday shortstop, maybe you keep both of them and you play Urias at third. You know, it, it just kind of depends what you want as an organization. But to me, if it's a couple years just to wait for the next guy, I guess that's fine. I just I just want them to be really developing their guys and or looking for other options because like I said with Vogelbach, it's just not the answer. It's it's I don't even know if Orlando Arcia being on this team next year gives us the best opportunity to win. Now, I don't know what that player would be, if that's Urias, if that's someone outside the organization, if that's someone, you know, Urias goes to shortstop, someone from the organization comes up to third. Like, I don't know all the answers. I'm not completely up with prospects. I'm not very good at that. There's way too many of them to wrap my head around that. Um, and it's NFL season, so got Packers <laughs> on the brain. But to me, it's it's a really hard thing. And I, I'm glad we have David Stearns, who's a great mind and a guy I trust to make the right decisions because this is not a decision I would like to make because I can I can make arguments both ways of keeping Arcia, of letting him walk. And there's about 30 other options that you can go about this and how you want to build this team moving forward. And I'm just glad I am not behind the desk and making those decisions. Yeah, obviously you have to hope like Bryce Terang is the future at shortstop, but from like at least the televised segments we saw from summer camp, like you can tell he's quite a few years away from being anywhere as near ready to to get some actual MLB game experience. So to me, given the price range of 2.7 to 3.8, I think you have to pick this up for next year because if you don't, that's it's a wor- you're going to be worse off if Luis Rios doesn't pan out. <laughs> um, so and you know Arcia can contribute defensively, and when the Brewers let shortstops go, they always seem to do really well. Like we get rid of Alcides Escobar, he has one really good season of hitting. We get rid of Gene Segura, he gets MVP votes the next season. <laughs> I just do not want that to happen to us again. I'm sick of it. Ah. <laughs> uh... That's so, like, I feel like that's a very Wisconsin sports fan thing to do. Like, we're always, like, waiting for the next worst thing to happen, right? Like, oh, we got rid of someone? Oh, they're an all-pro next year or, you know, making it to the all-star game or what, whatever sport you're talking about. That's just kind of how it seems to go or how at least it feels. But I I do think David Stearns is going to make the right choice. Like you said, Bringing back Orlando Arcia at the very least for next year is probably the right call because if you don't do that and Urias just ain't it, that that's a big issue, um, especially if he's not it at the plate and can't play in the field either. Like that's a big concern then, and that's a big hole in your team and one that could prevent you from making any sort of run even into the playoffs. So definitely just as an insurance policy makes sense, you know, then halfway through the year you see Urias is it and you have a somewhat plan at third base, then you can try to get something from Orlando Arcia via trade. You know, maybe that's an option for a contending team that needs just some defense at that position, you know, that, that could be something there as well. So for me, 
it, it makes sense for sure to bring him back next year. After that, <laughs> like I said, have fun, David Stearns. I'm glad that's not my job. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, I think that is going to wrap us up here for our Orlando Arcia and Dan Vogelbach talks. Really went into this with a positive vibe, but we're leaving with murky futures for the both of them. So yeah. funny how that stuff happens. I don't really know. <laughs> Next week, we will talk about two pitchers who had really good seasons. And Trevor is already thinking Corbin Burns, so that one's a lock. And we will uh, leave the second one a surprise for now because even I don't know who it's going to be. (laughs) So until next week, make sure you tune in. Make sure you're subscribing, following us, doing all that good jazz. But stay tuned for some more pitching talk next weekend. See you later, Brewer fans. Trustin Stearns. Stearns.